Today's reading is from Psalm 63. It's in, on page 562 in your right pew Bible. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the riches of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I feel like it's been a while since I've been up here. I've been hiding in my ESL quarters. If you don't know me, my name is Sam. I'm Sam Udia Papale, and I am the director of University Young Adult and International Ministries here. And it's my pleasure to be in front of you today. But it is also my pleasure to bring honor to God, so I need to say a prayer before I begin today. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, my God and my Savior. Amen. So this month we have returned to a sermon series on prayer. If you're faithful on Sunday, you're probably well aware of that, but the pastoral staff long to see that our entire community becomes such a strong, beautiful force of prayer that is centered on Jesus Christ. We long that our young, our people here in our community who are young in faith would learn some new practices in prayer, and those who have been following Jesus for a long time, and there are a lot of you out there, And I'm so thankful for you that you can have a chance to examine your own practice, maybe pick up some new things, but also maybe pick up some tools as we try to teach that you could also teach those around us. Prayer is especially important to us because this is a season for us at Knox of change and major decision-making about our future. In fact, I don't know if our elders have been away uh, for a portion of this weekend on a retreat focusing on the renewal of our church site and facilities. We have a lot of beautiful property right here in the city, and we want to make spirit-led decisions that will 
excuse me, will enable life-giving ministry to shine from this corner of the city for generations to come. And so we know that stress of change can stir up all kinds of ugliness in communities, in people and in families. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life. Maybe you've experienced that in another church. A lot of fear can arise in times of uncertainty and risk-taking, but our God, we know he is a God of love. And so we want to be close to that love, closer to that love in this season. And we want to decrease so he can increase in this community in this season. And so we're going deeper into our understanding of prayer together so we can do just that. So last week... Phil talked about how our understanding of God affects the way we pray. So how our understanding of who God is affects the way we pray. But what I want to introduce to you today is this reality that also what we pray has a deep effect on who we become. So what we pray has a deep effect on who we become This is just a thought that I love to carry with us today as we learn and explore what the prayer of adoration is all about. So we're going to focus on the prayer of adoration today. So when you hear the word adoration, think of some words that connect to that. Adoration, love, desire, want, praise. These are all parts of our human experience that shape our lives. And scripture is full of awesome examples. Your life is probably full of beautiful examples of how adoration and what you love affects your life. So right from the beginning, we have Adam and Eve, and they have a desire. They have a love. They have a desire to catch a glimpse of God's worldview. And so they eat that apple that changes them, that makes, that chooses them, that causes them to make a decision. And we have later on in the story, Abraham And Abraham desired to follow God, and that led him to a choice of leaving his homeland. Later on, we have all the Israelites, Israelites who desired to be more like their foreign neighbors. They wanted a king, and so God grants them a king. He grants them his desire, and then all kinds of things unfold because of that decision. And then we have David, who is a man after God's heart, who desired God And so we see across the Psalms this abundance of praise that streams from his life. And we get a glimpse of who he was because he adored and desired God. There's this great book that I confess I haven't actually read. I've just read a lot of synopses and good quotes from it. But it's by a contemporary scholar named Jamie K.A. Smith. And the book is called Desiring the Kingdom. And so in this book, I know from my synopses that he uh, reignites this old idea from Augustine that we as human beings are what we love. But then even before we can understand and name what we love, we actually take actions towards that love. So even before we understand or know and name what we love, we actually are already taking actions towards what we love. So to, to stress that out a little bit, um, small example from my own life. When I was in high school, I don't really have a good consciousness of what I loved or what was guiding my life. Um, I had no 
yeah, just no understanding. I mean, lots of things in retrospect. But I was a good student. I was known as that. And I was succeeding at school. It was a major value in my life to be successful. And I was positive that doing, doing that, succeeding at school, was a really noble pursuit. It was like a key purpose in my life at that time. So I would often put studying first above all kinds of things. But when I, especially relationships, we'll just say that. Like, I probably could have gone deeper in some friendships in that time. But when I finished high school, I was pretty burnt out and unsatisfied. I realized that I had sacrificed my days on what I would call the altar of exams, and that ultimately they gave me nothing fulfilling in return. So I was a high achiever. That was who I was and what I loved, but what I achieved was super unsatisfying. It just left me wanting. So this notion that we are what we love highlights a truth, that, we, that what we love or adore shapes our lives. And so if this is true, you can say what we love and adore can also change our lives. So it shapes our lives, but can change our lives. So let's skip into what a prayer of adoration is. So we've chosen Psalm 63 today as an example to explore at. And we could have chosen any number of psalms. There's a lot of beautiful psalms of good examples of prayers of adoration. But this one is kind of interesting in the history of the church. Um, I'm not sure of all the reasons why, but I do know a few of them. That it was prescribed by the early church fathers for use in Christian daily uh, morning prayer. And part of what I know is that um, that word that says, earnestly I seek you, can also be, uh, also be defined from the Hebrew, just translated in the Hebrew, early in the morning I seek you. And so it was a beautiful prayer to come to, a prayer of adoration, to center your day early in the morning. And so we're going to see from this psalm some, some characteristics of prayer of adoration. So the first thing I want to point out, a prayer of adoration names who God is, and what he does. The prayer of adoration names who God is and what he does. Sometimes we call these prayers of uh, praise and thanksgiving. So if we look at this psalm, we see David doing these two things. In the first verse, he says, God, you are my God. That's who God is to him. He says, power, he ascribes power and glory to God. That is what God is about. He says, God, your love is better than life. He says, God is his help. You are my help. And then something God does, he says, your right hand upholds me. Your hand of justice holds me up. So that's the first thing. Second thing, in the Psalms, what we see about prayers of adoration is they are often framed by a feeling or action that emerges because of God's activity or character. So feeling or activity that emerges because of God's activity or character. So the action might be to praise, to bless, to thank God. It might be singing or bowing down like Phil described this morning. Um, something that moves us to do something. So in this psalm, we see that David is longing for God. That's the feeling that's happening there. In verse 4, he says, I will praise you as long as I live. That's what causes David to do in light of God's love. He says, my lips will glorify you, and I will be satisfied. I will sing, I cling, all these actions and feelings connected to praising God. And the last thing I want to mention is that prayer of adoration specifically Void of request. No requests 
in a prayer of adoration. So adoration might surround a prayer of request, but a prayer of adoration is not expressed because we want or need something from God. And that's like a key thing about this prayer. Adoration is purely about enjoying God for who he is. It's for this reason around the prayer of adoration that I've been thinking about how this kind of prayer might be a good sign of the maturity of our faith or the depth of our love for God. I was listening to some uh, messages from Tim Keller earlier this week, and as he was reflecting, um, he was reflecting on a common prayer um, of early spiritual seekers, people who are new to the faith or just looking for God. And he notes that often our earliest prayers to God are actually prayers of request. Maybe it's like, God, give me a sign that you're out there, or God, would you help me? Maybe there's a situation that needs to change, and you cry out to God, God, would you change this? But these prayers of requests, they're, they're important, and they can definitely humble us and show our humility. They can definitely be revealing of our need for God. But what they are is they're essentially self-focused. And prayers of request ask God for what he can do for us. So that's, that's pretty different. And a prayer of adoration, like the one that David offers here, emerges from the soul of someone who is no longer just seeking a God or any God, but someone who has an intimate experience of the living God, who has put all his faith in him, all his life in his hands. And, and we see that David has even seen him. He has had a true experience. He has seen him in the sanctuary. He has seen God. David claims God as his own. He says, my God. And that is a confident relationship. Somebody who is rooted and stable in his faith. David knows that it is the steadfast love of God that ultimately satisfy him. But also, David doesn't ask for justice. He doesn't ask for victory in the situation he is in this psalm. It's like David is so sure of God's power and justice that he just declares what action the God he knows will take. He says in the last few verses there that his enemies will be destroyed in silence. It's not a request. David just declares that this is what God will do, and it's strong. So those are kind of like the three things that I want you to take away about what a prayer of adoration is for your own thinking. And when we step back from Psalm 63, I guess it's like key to, to notice, what, what do we notice about David in the psalm? We've kind of already covered a few of those things. But Psalm 63 reveals very clearly that David's love and adoration are pointed towards God. Whatever situation David is in, it sounds like God's presence is the thing that he is desiring and knows that will satisfy him. David lo- what David loves is shaping who he is. But also what David prays shapes who he becomes in this circumstance. And so I want to understand actually what this circumstance is that this psalm emerges from to get a better sense of that. But we also want to get a better sense of how David's prayer of adoration shapes his life here. <coughs> Excuse me. So we get a hint of that. And the context and the subtitle, if you turn to your Bible, the subtitle of this psalm is A Psalm of David When He Was in the Desert of Judah. <clears throat> David and his subjects 
in this, in this context are fleeing from Jerusalem. And David has just learned that his son that he loves, Absalom, is actually plotting to take the throne and to th- throw David out of power. So King David and thousands of his people are running into the wilderness of Judah for refuge and for some time to figure out what to do next. I feel like that's easy to say, an easy story to say in distance from this history and in the context of my life. But So it's important here to imagine kind of what, <clears throat> what they're fleeing from and what you would feel like if you were the person fleeing from the terror of impending war that you were the one fleeing into the wilderness, away from your city and home, what would you be feeling? Maybe there's fear or terror or uncertainty. Maybe there's hopelessness, anger or rage. Maybe anxiety because you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe sadness or grief. Then imagine that you have the weight of being the leader of thousands of people who are experiencing those range of emotions. And what is the impression that you're left with reading Psalm 63? What is your impression of David? In this moment of crisis, David is not overcome with despair. And I feel like that would be a really easy place to go to. And can you imagine what a choice of despair would actually entail or would actually, what would happen in that place? So maybe it would cause him to stall or lament or agonize. Maybe despair might limit his response or limit his capacity to respond well. But instead, David does not choose despair. Instead, David's soul pours out his longing for God, his need for God, and even more so his praise and confidence in God. And as David praises with passion, confidence, and trust in God, the feeling of possibility and hope emerges. When you read this, you don't end with a feeling of despair. You end with a feeling of hope for something good happening in the future. So what happens when David prays these prayers of adoration to God? If you read that full story, and it's in 2 Samuel 17, you can go back there later if you'd like, you see that the tragedy of the situation doesn't actually change. It is still awful. He still has a son who is seeking to overthrow his power. But David has a mind and capacity to make decisions He's actually still choosing to love his son and and hope for the best for him, to guide his people and aim for justice and trust that no matter what happens, God's justice will prevail. These prayers of adoration shape David's perspective and response. And David's prayers of adoration, or I said, as David adores God, he makes room for life and hope in that circumstance. So as you chew on that, I'm going to share another story of what happens when we offer prayers of adoration to God. So in 2005, I, had, um, I spent some time in Malawi, and I was assistant leading a team of Canadian students on an InterVarsity Global Partnership with the student Christian movement there. So Malawi is among, one of the, among the poorest countries in Africa, and it was my first time traveling in a developed nation with, with that much economic despair. It was really hard to experience the disparity 
between the affluence of Canada and the utter lack of resources and infrastructure around there. It was really distressing to take in the numbers of people begging in the marketplace and not being able to do anything about it. It was really hard to hear stories of how AIDS had devastated the lives and families of our new friends and neighbors. It was so hard to encounter the cultural pieces that seemed to perpetuate lies about how AIDS was contracted, stopping people from being healed, but also lies and practices that disempowered and shamed and used women. There was one particular evening, our team was together with the Malawian team and we were sharing worship songs. And so uh, one of our team members, it might have been me, um, brought out a guitar and in our best voices, in our quiet Western voices, we offered up a little rendition of Here I Am to Worship, if you know that um, contemporary worship song. And it kind of just fell flat. We, We tried, it was good. But then it was our friend's time to share. Man, our brothers and sisters in the Malawian movement brought out this amazing, so amazing, amazing force of a call and response and booming harmony and clapping and praise, singing Palibe Wina, which means there's none like you. I know we have some good African brothers and sisters in our congregation any day. If you have ever experienced the African church, you have experienced this good gift of praise and adoration and how that shapes a situation. It was like a massive musical worship welcome and invitation for us to join in their praises to God. Our worship song was so embarrassingly puny in comparison to that sound of awe. But their singing was so joyfully invited us into life, into a different way of experiencing and seeing the world that was around us. So my response in this kind of situation, and even now in worship, is to cry. I just lose it. If you ever see me crying, it's because I'm responding to something. Maybe you can resonate with that. I don't know. But I just lost it. I was releasing all the stress unfolding in my body through my tears. I could feel it. And eventually, kind of let my tears wash through the tension and despair that I was holding on to. And just let the stronger voice break through, joining in those words of praise to the living God. Singing praises to God with our Malawian brothers and sisters. It was like shedding our hardship, the hardship and heaviness of all we were seeing and experiencing. In this place of adoration, of praise and thanksgiving, it was like room was made for the love and joy and goodness of the Spirit of God to break through and overcome the darkness. So when we know that we are praising the source of life, we see hope emerges. Those prayers of adoration changed our hearts and they changed our disposition in that hard place. And we know the songs of our friends didn't, again, change the physical and practical reality of the situation around them. But man, it opened up a quality of life that I have not experienced in a world surrounded by more material possessions. It's like this prayers of adoration created a dwelling place for the goodness of God to be present on earth. Have you experienced worship like that?
hope you have. And if you haven't, I hope you will. And if you haven't, I hope you will experience that here. There's something profound that happens when prayers of adoration are offered from a place of truth. Something profoundly hap- <clears throat> excuse me, something profoundly human. Also something profoundly divine. It's like we find our true selves. I don't know if you're familiar with the Westminster Catechism, but the first question and first response in that in that catechism, this teaching of the Christian faith, states the chief end of man or the chief aim of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our primary goal, our primary human goal in life is to praise God and enjoy him forever. This act of adoring God brings us closest to our God-given human nature. It is such a beautiful thought to me that the source of life and goodness and justice and mercy, the sustainer, the most powerful, beautiful creator God made you and made me and made us and brought us together just to enjoy him. There's a good rest and life in that truth for me. And I wonder if you find it easy to adore God? That's a good good question to think about. In my experience of faith, the more I have grown to know about Jesus, the more I have disciplined my life to be obedient to Jesus, I found it easier to bring praise to God. But I still confess that it is not always easy to do. So sometimes I think about my low times in my prayer life to be like ebbs and flows in the experience of human relationship, kind of normal. And I think there's some merit to that comparison. Sometimes, you know, it's easy to love people. It's easy to love someone when they're kind to you, when they're doing good things, when there's things you love about them. But then there's always seasons where things shift and somebody does something to make you angry and or it distances you or things just get not as exciting as they used to be in a friendship or relationship and you get complacent and your attention wanders. Those are all pretty human things to encounter in a relationship. But I actually think our waving and wondering in terms of God is, is better framed in terms of sin and idolatry these two words that scripture gives us. So I think, think of idolatry as our love and affection, misplaced. Some of our most common objects of love in a place like Toronto, in a big urban city, are our money, our sex and relationships, and power. These are very attractive things that we often think will bring us happiness. I wonder, have you ever found yourself maybe preoccupied with the material world? Maybe just thinking too much, like if you just had or found the right coat, your life was going to be better that week, or maybe you're just longing so much for a dating relationship, to be in a dating relationship that it ends up distracting you from your good friendships or even enjoying the week ahead of you. <clears throat> you know... It's also very easy for me personally to get wrapped up in stress because things in life feel out of control or there's too much happening and you can't keep on top of everything and you just you're, you don't have control, you don't have power. It's easy to let our love be consumed by these ultimately unfulfilling idols. 
in my high school piece earlier, and this was one example too. But the happiness these areas of desire bring are short-lived, and often in serving them, they have adverse effects on our life and in the world. In fact, probably always, if we believe, if we truly believe the truth that our purpose, our sole purpose in life is to glorify God, then in following any of these idols is going to have adverse effects in our life and in the world. It's important to make prayers of adoration a conscious choice or a discipline in our spiritual lives to care for the well-being of our soul. And the soul there, not just spiritually, but your whole body, your whole being. It can give us focus. It can turn our focus and train our focus on the source of true life, Jesus, the Son of God, and not be distracted by empty idols. Praise and thanksgiving, even science shows that thanksgiving can change, but praise and thanks can change you. But praise and thanksgiving to God can fill our hearts and minds with the truth about life to equip us for hardship when it comes. But this prayer of adoration can also be confessional, like preaching the good news to our own soul, preaching truth to our own soul. This is where prayer of adoration is actually synonymous with worship. It's at the heart of our worship. You've experienced it already today. It's why we gather to sing praise to our God, and it's what is right for us to bring and offer each other on a Sunday. Praise and adoration to God to shape our lives together. Together, our prayers of adoration make room for God to come, and that ultimately changes us. So later on in my time in Malawi, after we had visited a lot of schools, we had still seen even more poverty and met more people. We had done a lot of teaching to help kids make good choices, hopefully, about their lives. We still faced a lot of disparity between the abundance of our lives and the needs of the locals there. We took a little time out with our team to get a good view of the city. And it was about like a 25-minute drive up a little mountain. It's kind of like a, it's not quite a foothill area, but it's like rolling hills in that area. And so up the mountain, we drove through a density of trees and monkeys staring down at us, which was kind of freaky. Um, But we got to the top of the mountain and got out of the vehicles And we just stopped and stood at the edge of the plateau. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful to be above where we had been serving, just to look out on the city below us. And as we stood there as a team, we just took some time to breathe. And then someone started in a hymn that we all knew and had sung before. We'd left Canada. And our hearts and voices kind of joined together. The words of it were, This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and around me rings. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought. His hands the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. The battle is not done. 
Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. The last five books, sorry, the last five psalms in the book of Psalms are all psalms of praise, 100% praise. Not all the psalms are like that. But also, our last book of Scripture, the Word of God, Revelation, is so full of beautiful worship and adoration in light of the one who saves us, Jesus Christ, coming back to redeem everything and make everything new. That's at the end. So I want to leave you with this one last thought from Eugene Peterson. He says, All prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry and fearful the experiences it traverses, ends up in praise. It doesn't always get there quickly or easily. The trip can take a lifetime. But in the end, is always praise.